Hey, my name is Kevin Clark. I'm the host of a new football podcast called Slow News Day. I want to tell you about it. On Mondays, Lindsey Jones and I will recap the weekend in football that was, as well as look ahead to what's next. On Wednesday, the normal Slow News Day, the thing you've been watching for years, current players, current coaches, current analysts talking about the football world. And on Friday... It's a wild card. Could be some college football, could be more pro stuff. It's a video podcast, so you can watch it on Spotify or listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on Spotify. It's Slow News Day. It's the Full Goal presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filtered by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every, that's right, every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, the official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I wanna wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC Pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Chicago everywhere. Check it. It's not enough Chicago. We just don't have enough Chicago people. Jason Goff is here. Well, I'm at Full Go. The Full Go Podcast. The Full Go. Bears, Bulls, White Sox, Cubs, and Blackhawks. Our man, Jason Goff. Three times a week with Jason Goff. His mood is elevated. <laughs> he is feeling good. Jason, I'm loving the Full Go. Love the Full Go. The Full Go. The Full Go. Welcome to Full Go with Jason Goff. That is what I'm talking about. Talking about. What up, world? You're listening to The Full Go with Jason Goff, presented by The Ringer, a Spotify original. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, what you want me to say, bro? Like, that game, <laughs> like, I'm happy for every win, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to get food. KD. We won't get food again. Like, I'm not about to get food. Hey, y'all got to win five, six in a row before my juices get to going. You feel me? Kyrie came in here, was a little nonchalant, right? <laughs> Your boy Royce O'Neal had the worst shooting game I've seen of a pro in very, very long. Like, after the 6-3? Yeah, he is. No, no, yeah, no doubt. He's better no doubt. than that. He's, he's going to be the reason why they, yeah. they, they in the Eastern Conference Finals, yeah, I he's think. way better than that. You know, one of the reasons, I should say. Uh, ben Simmons wasn't really looking at the rim, you know. I mean, they ah, the the Patrick Williams growth is is what I took from that game, right? Twenty two points, you know, on eight shots was was aggressive, but until things get sustained, like what are we really talking about? We're talking about a team that's well below five hundred, team that shouldn't be below five hundred, and a team who's I, that whole game. I watched Zach Levine 
And I don't know if the knee was bothering him or what the case may be because, you know, guys wake up sometimes and aren't feeling the best. But that whole game, Zach was a little disengaged. And defensively, I saw him make some some pretty good plays in the fourth quarter, especially like he he was matched up on KD a couple of times. He was matched up on Kyrie in the lane a couple of times. Uh, but offensively, he just he, he didn't have a pop. It didn't seem like he was as engaged as we're used to seeing him. And this is on the heels of everyone asking the questions about who's your end of game closer when we all know that it's going to be DeMar taking the shot. And Zach Levine's like, hey, if you're paying me all this money, like I'd like to take some of those shots because I've hit some of those shots in my life. So right now, until things get until things get ironed out for a long enough time that's comfortable and the schedule doesn't allow for it because of some of the teams that you have to play, the Philadelphia's of the world, hell, the Utah, you're gonna see them. I mean, this this team knows how it should play, but they they go off script far too often for me to trust them right now. And Billy Donovan, his message, is it getting through? It gets through, you know, every other game or once every three games, but even in the Brooklyn game, like Nikola Vucevic, and th- I think this speaks to what this team lacks at times, which is the the mental acuity to stick to what's working. Like, and that's hard sometimes. Like, that's hard to to not get your own shit off when when you got a six seven point lead and you feel like you get a little comfortable to 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 do your thing. Like, Sounds like ego. To, well, that this is the that, thing. That don't sound like a like a comprehension issue. That 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 sounds like a lot of. All right, it, it's it's time for me to kind of go off the. The game plan worked to get us here. It's time for me to get mine. I think it's masked. I think the ego is masked and veiled in what am I here to do? Like, why am I here? Like, you brought me here and I'm in this position in this point in my career because I do this and I have to feel like I'm a part of this, right? And let's face it, we all know guys. Guys know their averages and guys try to go get their points. Um does that happen on the the most winning of teams? Yeah, it happens. But the winning kind of uh, shrouds it. The winning kind of disguises it. This team is not a winning team right now. So a lot of things that would get disguised, a lot of things that would be swept under the rug when guys are going out there like, all right, man, I got to I gotta look like I participated somehow in this game. Like that that shit is very, um, it's, it's glaring, right? It's right there on Front Street for you to watch. And even in the Brooklyn game, like I said, I mean, there was, there was too many times where this game, this team has uh, had 21, 22 or fewer assists six straight games now. And that's the worst in the NBA. So it isn't that they don't have shot makers, right? Because they, they, they may not have the outside shooting that you that yearn for, but they got people who can finish. They got people who can put the ball in the hole. It's just about passing people the ball and getting people in the right positions, understanding matchup recognition. The reason why I think Vooch loves when Ayo DeSumo is on the floor is because every time they run the pick and roll, he knows he's going to get the ball and he knows where he's going to get it. And if they don't run it to a T, Ayo is bringing it back out and telling him to post up. Ayo knows, listen, that young man knows where his bread is buttered on this team. You're either going to defer to the guys who... Uh, play the same position as you, you know, similar positions as you, and small forward and shooting guard, or the big man who you know is going to go to bat for you when it's time to make certain decisions or people ask who you like running with or what do you like here, that his name is going to be mentioned, right? And speaking of I.O., pretty good games here in this last week, all leading up to him, you know, becoming a Washington Wizard in the offseason. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I.O. getting close <laughs> to that position, Tom, where it's like, ha. Ah. 
Harold's for thirty million dollars, or <laughs> they got mumbo sauce or whatever it is in DC for sixty million. Let, let, let me think about this because he made it all right, right, right. What a go on music that? Let's Give go. me some phone posits. I'm on the way. You know, like that's that. I owe Desumu for a team that doesn't want to be touching that luxury tax. I owe Desumu is going to command a decent amount of money, and. Uh, he's played his way into that situation by being a second-round pick, making an all-rookie team. And now you've seen him over these last few games or so. Was he, had, he had 19 and five steals the other night, 17 points and seven rebounds against Brooklyn. Like, he's pushing the ball. He's actually making some of these dudes look pretty bad off of the rim where he grabs it and goes, and you're like, all right, it's one on three. All right, we got to pull it out because your team ain't with you right now, right? So... As he learns and grows and, and evolves more in that point guard position, I'm looking forward to seeing him take that leadership role because he was grabbing guys very early on in the season and in and, and like those college huddle type of things where he'd go and put his arm around dudes and dudes like, hey, man, calm down. We good. Like, it's all good. It's, it's 182, baby. And maybe that started to subside a little bit for him. And, of course, there was a little stretch there where he wasn't playing as much. So in this new Billy Donovan rotation where it seems like there's a new one every week in this new Billy Donovan rotation. I hope that he understands that he is not one of the unquestionable leaders on this team. I believe, I mean, just in his work ethic, the way he goes about things and how he, how he thinks out there on the floor. Like the only things that, that prohibit Io DeSumo at this point are things that you could work on in his game, right? Like he's not a guy who's not going to be willing to listen. He's not a guy that isn't fundamentally sound. He's not a guy that's not going to play defense. Like he's doing all of those things. His corner jump shot, the one that, that, you know, the swing swing is finding him open on, hasn't been falling as of late. Uh, and some of the other things that he will have to work on. But other than that, man, I mean, he goes up, he blocks KD on the chase down block. Like this, this, this was a good week for him basketball wise. And, not knowing what's going to happen with Lonzo Ball or if he's going to come back or how he's going to look when he comes back. You know, Io DeSumo and Patrick Williams have been, they've been the whipping boys on this team for the last couple of years. And when we see that there are glaring deficiencies in some of the starters and some of the guys that are making all the money on this team, it's good to see them have the kind of game that they had together while the big boys were on the floor, while DeMar and Vooch and Zach were out there. You know, it's good to see Pat not have to score 30 when everybody's sitting. Or it's good to see Io play this way when there aren't six injuries in front of him, right? Where he has to battle for time with Alex and Goron and Lonzo and all those dudes. So, you know, the, the, the slow steps to the build, wherever the build is going to go after this trade deadline, after this season, you know, I think those two young players put something on tape and, and put something in the minds of AK and, and Mark Eversley and Billy Donovan, hopefully that uh, might, might better help them evaluate what their futures will be. But I wouldn't be surprised if Io DeSumo was somewhere else come next season because he's played his way into those types of numbers, right? I mean, there's a lot of guys out here. You know, backup point guard is like cool again in the NBA. Like there was a time where, you know, you had backup point guards who were, you know, running the mill dudes. But there's some guys out here that are really, really good players playing that backup point guard role. And you can mess around and make a large sum of money out of it. You know, shout out to Patrick Beverly, who's been a starter and a backup. You mess around and look at Patrick Beverly's career earnings. I think he's, I think Patrick's close to 100, if I'm not mistaken, $100 million. So why can't a guy like Ayo DeSumo look at those kind of numbers and say, you know, seven, eight, nine years from now, hopefully I will have amassed a terrific NBA career made all the money I wanted to and hopefully win a championship here, if not somewhere else. So 
Yeah, I, I don't have a lot on the Bulls this last week or so. I mean, yeah, it's just I'm I'm trying not to get fooled again. I'm trying to walk this thing the way it's supposed to be walked. Uh, I think this team has a bunch of deficiencies that I don't think the season is going to help them with in terms of the schedule and, of course, injuries. You know, Alex Caruso goes down again with the right ankle. Um, you know, Javante Green, like all the guys that they need to be healthy are hurt right now. And they need those guys because the the level of defense that some of their starters and some of their reserves play just isn't high level enough. And until they stick to the formula of winning offensively, their defensive deficiencies are going to show because they are one and done in a lot of these stagnant offensive possessions that they have. So relying on your offensive talent is something that this team has done a, a whole hell of a lot of. And now it has to switch to relying on the, the program and the plan and the standard that Billy Donovan has set. And I think the rest of this year will be a litmus test as to who is down with that program and who isn't and what you have to do because the coach seemingly ain't going nowhere because he extended them. So, you know, it'd be very interesting times here in this new year. We've got about a month or so, a month and a half, something like that for the trade deadline. Uh, we've got the all-star break coming up. Like this is, this is that time where teams start to declare themselves and the market starts to do the same thing. I'll be interested in a month from now to see where the Bulls sit and who we see playing and what these rotations look like. Because if this season is a wash, then you got to get something for some of these bigs. You got to get something for a couple of these backcourt dudes. And you got to think about what the next the next year is going to look like. And I know that's a far cry from what we were saying about a year ago this time. Time for some commercials. Hey, this is Lance Briggs. You're listening to The Full Go with Jason Goff. These are the times if I wasn't as... as Fully confident in my talents, I'd be looking at you and trying to, you know, <laughs> throw you down that old. Uh, <laughs> what's, what's up, Corey? What's good? Brother? How you feeling, brother? How are you? How are you? Been good. I'm I'm doing good. How are you? I'm man? good, man. I'm good. Good to chance. Good to get a chance to talk to you. You know, I'm sitting here talking to Tony. I know. I don't don't run away now, Tony. I was going was going to tell Tony to his face. <laughs> you know, if I was a different kind of cat. You know, I'm getting up there in age. I know these young dudes is on my ass. You know, he got all the social media and. <laughs> And and podcasts and presence, you know. I yeah. looking back at the <laughs> looking back at the young boys. I'm like, all right, you know, I got about seven, eight more years left in this game. I'm not about to <laughs> not about to mess around and have y'all have me covering high school basketball out here. <laughs> are you, are you mad, I man? can't complain, I man. I can't complain. How are you? How are you? Good, good. Same here, man. Can't can't complain at all. I actually I actually live in St. Louis, oh. so yeah, been out here for. For a while, yeah. my wife's from here, and then uh, got got two yeah. girls. Yeah, so seven yeah. and four. No, no doubt. No, yeah. I know y'all out there making the super family. You know, everybody in the crib, yeah. six foot three and over. I know the vibes. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I know the vibes, man. Uh, so you know, as as always, we we um we we have people on here, and we just start recording. You ain't gotta, you know, we've already started to record, so we just bring you in like mm-hmm. that. You know, Corey, I uh, you and I have. I won't say a similar background, but we spent some time in the same town. I I came up in Evanston uh, as a kid, right? You know, shout out to the 24-hour Burger King. He got shut down not too long ago. Yep. My man, Sherm, <laughs> who was working there when I was like eight years big old. Yeah, you already know the vibes. You already know the vibes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> shout out to B- Sherm. Big Sherm big used to text, to text me on Facebook all the time saying, hey, can I get the black Alamo Bowl polo? <laughs> like all, all my Northwestern cats I play with know about that because <laughs> That's all we talked about, the black Alamo Bowl yeah. polo. That's what he told me all the time. I need in a size large. That's what I need. 
in 08. That's what he needed. Big Sherm. Shout, shout out, out to the Everston legend. If y'all don't know, you know, you can't get familiar now because they shut down the Burger King, but there's a 24-hour Burger King uh, right off the Northwestern campus, downtown Evanston. And as a kid, we used to go there. In high school, we used to go there. You know, I remember a couple of times Chaos was at Northwestern. We went there after the party. So uh, always look forward to, 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 to hanging out. And also Jerry Brown. You know, Jerry Brown, I've mentioned a, a few times, yep. Jerry Brown is like a uh, second pops to me. You know, grew up in that household with him J- and Jerry. JB, the GOAT. Yeah, man. One, of, one yeah. of the best men that I've ever had a chance to be around. And, and at your time at Northwestern, I mean, we're talking, you know, freshman, uh, you know, freshman All-American honors. You talking about the Northwestern MVP, you know, Big Ten, all-first team honors. How, do you, how does one find his way from Jersey? Okay, to and I know how because there's a nice little <laughs> pipeline after a while going out there on the East Coast to Northwestern. But how'd you find your way uh, to Northwestern instead of UConn or Louisville or some of these other schools that were interested in you? Yeah, so so it came down to, to Northwestern, Louisville, UConn, Boston College, NC State, and I kind of narrowed it down to, to BC and and uh, Northwestern. I knew a lot of people that went to BC, being on the East Coast and Jersey, a lot of Jersey guys up there. And I was like, I kind of, I kind of, I kind of want to branch out a little bit. I kind of want to see what the Midwest is about. Heard great things about Chicago. I knew we were in a suburb of Evanston, so I was like, went on a visit there and fell in love with Northwestern campus. People on the team that that was the biggest thing for me. People were down to earth. Some of the other places I went to uh, didn't get that vibe. You know, people were a little cocky, and um, everyone at Northwestern was pretty down to earth. And uh, yeah, I, I really vibe with the guys on the team and. Uh, yeah, decided decided I wanted to go there. I, I canceled my NC State visit. Oh, wow. You know what? I'm going to commit to Northwestern. Yeah. Oh, wow. So canceling visits. I didn't even go for the free pizza, a little ride, nope. hang out for a little bit. No, <laughs> no, no. Uh, no who, was, I didn't even who, do it. who was the close second? I mean, you say it was down at BC, but why? Why that decision to to not go to Boston College? Uh, Well, I would just say just because of the proximity to home. You know, for me, you know, for, from Jersey, I think it's like three and a half hours, something like that. So I just kind of wanted to just get a ways a little bit and, and and be out there. But, yeah, I wanted to go to a good academic school. So it was down to those two. But I just knew too many people that went there. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, let me just start something different uh, out there in Chicago. And I fell in love with, with the city. So you, you land in Evanston, and you, you're getting your feet wet. Uh, Northwestern campus, one of the most beautiful campuses in all of America, right? And, and shout out to them and what they do to Evanston's uh, property tax, since they ain't paying no tax <laughs> on all that land out there. But <laughs> what what was your time at Northwestern like? Everybody, you know, it's funny because <clears throat> when Gary Barnett and that whole regime changed the culture at Northwestern, there was all of a sudden ex- expectations, you know, after the Dwayne Bates, Darnell Autry, you know, Steve Schnurr teams. And then you get into the odds and now it's like, okay, you can mess around. Not only go to Alamo Bowls, but you can mess around and, and compete for Big Ten titles. What was the atmosphere like when you when you dropped down in Evanston in terms of where their program wanted to be? Well, I feel like we were still on the rise, you know, trying to get to that team that, that had nine to ten, ten wins a season. Um, Randy Walker was my coach when I first mm-hmm. got there. Um, you know, in the, my first year, uh, you know, we, we had, uh, made it to the, what are we, what bowl are we in? We were in, uh, um, El Paso. Uh, okay. I forget what bowl that was. I'm drawing a blank right here, but yeah, we, we made a bowl that year. Brett Bazinet was our quarterback. Um, so we were starting to build that culture as a competitor in the big 10. We really started that rivalry with Iowa. Like I know Illinois was our rival, but 
Iowa was really our rival in our time there. Uh, so it's really good to, to see that. And um, unfortunately, Randy Walker passed away the summer going into my sophomore year. It was really tough, you know, because he made me come to Northwestern, you know, loved him as a coach. But, um, you know, then comes in Pat Fitzgerald, who everybody loves. He was linebacker coach at the time, uh, full of energy. Um, and it was actually supposed to go to Jerry Brown, right? Mm-hmm. And Jerry Brown said, nope. I said, I want Fitz to take over. He said, I'm older. You know, Fitz is going to be here forever. He bleeds purple. Let him take the reins. And then that's how Fitz became the head coach. In our first year, we kind of struggled. Uh, you know, I think we only had three wins that year. Next year, we had some more. Then the following year was kind of my breakout season where we had the nine wins. We went to the uh, Alamo Bowl against Chase Daniel, Jeremy Macklin. But Coach Fitz, I mean, I see why 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 he's getting the four star recruits nowadays because everyone wants to play for a coach like him, full of energy. Um, so it's it, it's been great to see their transformation because when I was there, we've had a bunch of no star, one star, two star recruits. You know, guys that were kind of overlooked by a lot of the schools, um, and, and now they're starting to get some studs out there. You know, you look at Rashawn Slater, first round pick, uh, Skaronsky this year is going to be another first round pick. So they're starting to do a little better recruiting, and this year was really tough. Uh, yeah. The the, the yeah. first one win, but uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, I wasn't going to take you all the way to this year. Nah, I was going to let you stop the train care. whenever you wanted to. <laughs> yeah, it was it was bad this year. It was disappointing. Uh, you know, as as a former player and 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 a fan of the team now, um, hoping they can bounce back with some ten wins next year right. to make up for this. All right, there you go, there you go. And by the way, 05, it was the Sun Bowl. The man went to too many Sun bowls Bowl. in his coll- okay. his collegiate career. He just forgot which ones he went to. That's how successful Corey was at Northwestern. Apparently, uh, I want to get back to. before Northwestern as well, because it's going to lead into the conversation that everybody's having right now. Uh, The the, the DeMar Hamlin situation and the the progress that that young man is making. When did you know that football had chosen you? Because I always talk about it in those um, regards, right? There's certain sports where you can participate if you want and you can, you'll probably be athletically inclined enough or mentally you'll have the game down and it'll come easy to you. But I feel like there are certain sports that choose you. Boxing is one of them. Football is another one. And no matter how you feel about it, if you don't feel the way you're supposed to feel, those, those sports are going to kind of weed you out. When did you know that, that football was the move for you? Well, I knew my sophomore year in high school, um, our basketball team was unreal. I, I loved hoops. I was a post player at heart, but at the time, I'm maybe six foot as a sophomore. And our starting our starting varsity team, we had a seven foot center, six eleven power forward. We had a six eight small forward. We had a six four shooting guard and like a six two point guard. So I knew I'm like so an I'm NBA a team player at six foot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it, it's not happening. Everybody on there was D one. So I was like, okay. So so me and our. Uh, High school quarterback Mike Teal, who played for Rutgers, he's there. Yeah. I think he's their all-time leading passer. Played in the league for a couple of years. He was our quarterback at Don Bosco, where I went to. And me and him were were kind of on JV at the time, and we both like got hurt, like messed up our thumbs in the same practice. And we we're kind of just like, uh, I think we should get this up. I think I don't, I don't think we got a shot doing this. And then we both we both just focused on football at that point. And that's when I kind of know, like I'm like, all right. My goal was to get a scholarship because my parents told me when I first got to school, they said, listen, you got to get an academic or athletic. We're not going to be able to pay for you to go to college. So I said, all right, so I'm pretty smart, but I'm not that smart to get academic. So, okay, okay let me try this football thing out. You know, I got a big frame. And since then, 
you know, as, as a sophomore, I was playing JV and, and sophomore football. And then the next year, that's when I started full-time as a tight end. And after that, played really well in that season. We went against guys like Brian Cushing, the McCourty brothers. Um, so it was a lot of really good talent, a lot of exposure. We had a bunch of Army All-Americans in that division, so there was always college coaches. So after that season, I got six offers, and it was like, I was like, oh, okay, I, I can is. do this. That's that's when I knew, okay, I, I could play. Because at the time, as a junior, I was maybe 6'2", maybe about 220, and I had no facial hair. I still didn't really even lift then, and I was just going off like my natural strength. And my my coach would tell all the uh, the college football coaches, he said, this is going to be the best one at all of them. Like this guy hasn't even started maturing yet. Like he's, I'm telling you, this, this is going to be the guy. And off my tape and what he said, I feel like that really allowed coaches to see, okay, this guy, look how big his hands are. Look, he wears a size 15 foot and he's not even, you know, mm-hmm. this guy's going to be, be good when it's all said and done. So that was the moment that I kind of knew after me competing with some of the best and, and being able to hold my own and, and even dominate at times, I was like, okay. I, I can do this. And that's when I realized that, you know, I can make it at the next level. And then w- when I got to college, the aha moment when I knew I could play in the NFL was my junior year of college. How, how, I, how much better I got from the first two years to that junior year was unbelievable. Just the get off, the explosion, hand usage. Um, it was just like a switch had been flipped. And then, you know, I, I remember talking to my parents and they were like, wow. The growth you've had from last year to this year is un- unreal. So that's what I kind of knew that I could I could play on Sunday. You know, I, I try to relay it to not just like my fiance, but people around me who aren't privy to like what you guys, especially football players, go through in terms of the filtering out process when it comes to technique and fundamentals and, you know, what separates natural talent from the hard workers. And then, like I mentioned, you look at a situation like DeMar Hamlin, you know, the these short careers, not just how it affects lives, but the short careers that guys have. And uh, I guess I, I think I saw one of the one of the brothers from a Cleveland sports show talking about this and going off about how, you know, DeMar Hamlin, if he stops playing, where we, now we're just hoping that the young man has some sense of quality of life going forward after we've heard some of the progress of him squeezing hands on command and stuff like that. You know, it's a far cry from what we thought just 36 hours ago as we're taping here on Thursday night. But, you know, when pensions kick in, and all the other stuff that, you know, we don't talk a lot about, you know, what about the guys who in college who don't make it to the NFL, but walk around for the rest of their lives with debilitating injuries or things that just bother them. Um, and so in, in my, you know, in my years of doing this, I've always been a you know, paid college athletes kind of guys, especially football players, because of what they bring to the to the uh, to, to you know, campuses, what they do for admissions and what they do generally for schools. When you got drafted, what was the plan for you? Because, you know, going to Northwestern, sound like you have a solid family background and understanding of, of what, you know, what, what awareness and responsibility that, that those talents carry. What, what was the plan when you get drafted? It was a fourth round, right? Yep. Fourth round. Yeah. In 2010. Okay. Uh, so okay. I get drafted there. And honestly, my, my, my goal w- was always to play six to eight years. So regardless of how anything went, my goal was six to eight years. That's what I had, eight at the maximum, right? Play to a second contract and then then keep it moving. And uh, so, yeah, so my first year, 
um, start out not really playing, and then towards the end of the season, play as a reserve end, playing special teams, really starting to break out. And then my second year, really good preseason. Uh, mess up my uh, meniscus and terrible meniscus on kickoff uh, in the third preseason game. And then, you know, I rehab, come back halfway through the season, not feeling not feeling right, don't really play that much. I think I was only active one or two games that season. Then going into 2012, um, you know, I had a lot of pressure because people were like, oh, he's going to get cut. But he really hasn't shown, you know, what we thought he would be. And, you know, that really motivated me a lot because um, I'll never forget this. We had in tw- uh, 2011, our last game of the season was against mm-hmm. the Vikings, right? Mm-hmm. That was the game that Brian Erlacher hurt his knee. In that last last game, yeah. so I was inactive. I was inactive that game, and the night before, we have uh, meetings with our position groups. And Ron Marinelli, our defensive line coach, he was like, he was going around and telling you know what people need to get better on this offseason. And you know, goes around and he said to me, he's just like, yeah, it's, you're disappointing. You came out in, in preseason, you look great. We haven't seen anything from you this year. Like you really need to get better. You need to get better. Like that, it was embarrassing. And I was like, whoa. I remember just like everybody's looking in our defensive line group and I just felt embarrassed. Yeah. I was motivated. Man, I wrote that on my wall. Every day I'm looking at it in off-season workouts. I'm focused. I'm like, man, you know, nobody thinks I could play. They think this, this. So all of that off-season, working out, getting ready, have a great preseason. And, uh, you know, right right before, you know, the final cuts, I talked to Lovey. And he was like, yo, you had a great preseason, really loved what you've been able to do, but now you got to transfer it to the season, all right? And for me, that was like, all right, it's go time. Like, they drafted me, you know, I was projected potentially as a former first-round pick before the injury. Like, I need to showcase what I can do. And start out the first game, we play Andrew Luck and the Colts. Start out with a sack, have a really good game, and then just kept building. And then that got the confidence for me in that season Halfway through, I, I started opposite Peppers, and everything just really came together. And, and that's when I had seven sacks. Should have had a lot more if it wasn't for uh, <laughs> close, close a bunch of times because I was three away from double digits. Double digits get you paid no matter what. 100%. So even though I was in my third year, if I would have got double digits, that's why I was really mad about them. You go back and you and you look at all the things on tape. You're like, I got a sack here. I got hell here. And you think about it, but yeah, that really motivated me a lot. And and after that, I was like, you know. I really found my my groove in the NFL. And then after that season, hurt my hip. Um, well, actually, I was playing the whole year on a, on a you know, a bum, hip. bum hip in, in 20, 2013. Um, and then had to move the defensive tackle because Henry Melton got injured. And then Stephen Paya got hurt. Nate Collins got hurt. So I had to move in, in my contract year when I started out with two sacks in the first couple games. And so it was tough, but... Things happen for a reason. And, uh, you know, after that, you know, I had surgery after the season, then went to Minnesota and um, had a year there that just didn't get the playing time I thought I would as a rotational end. And then signed to Detroit, got hurt the last preseason game, tore my pec on my high school quarterback, Matt Sims, Phil Sims' son, on, on literally the last minute of the game. Kind of like the same thing that happened to me in college, last minute of the game. I wasn't even supposed to play at this point. Right. Our uh, our backups, the, the younger guys, two were hurt, and they had a linebacker plan, and I was out of the game. He got he got tired, so I'm I have my helmet down on the sideline because I'm not playing anymore. Like the coach told me, play the first half, second half will rest you. So literally, coach goes, we we don't have a defensive end in there. Woo woo, you gotta get in there. 
So I'm running with my helmet on, like they're in, they're in the cadence, blue 88, blue 88, run off the sideline, go to pass rush, beat the guy, and then I'm coming, reach my arm out, pop my peck. And 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 that's, uh, you know, how, how I got injured. So I spent that year on IR. When I was on IR, I had my daughter, and that changed my perspective on everything. That's when I realized, I was like, all right, this is my sixth year. Even though I didn't play, you know, you get credit for a credited season that year. And I was like, six years. I, my body feels good. Mentally, I feel really good. I'm always like, yo, you're one injury away from something affecting you for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. I'm ready to walk away. When I was holding her, I was like, it ain't worth it. To me, yeah. it, it wasn't worth it. I feel like if I didn't have my daughter, who knows? I, I would have played definitely eight. And who knows? Maybe even more. I know my goal was always eight, but I, I think everything happens for a reason. I think I'm glad I walked away when I did, now, especially now that they understand the brain studies and everything. And uh, I feel very content that I got to walk away on my own terms, which not everybody gets to do, even even some of the greats. And uh, mm-hmm. so, yeah, that's that for me was the moment I said, I'm done. And everyone asks, you know, do you regret it? I said, not at all. Like, I really enjoy life. You know, I do real estate. I do broadcasting. I, I like being able to be present, being home with the girls and my wife every day. And it's a lot of fun. Like, I, I really enjoy it. Like, I feel like I'm happier now than when I played. I never realized how much stress I had when I played until I was done. And then yeah. I was like, wow. Like, this is what life like, is. It was like a weight lifted off me. Um, yeah. And I don't think people realize that because when they see people walking away from the game, they say, well, you left money on the table. Well, is everything about money? You know what I mean? And and that's that's what people fail to realize. They will they will literally some people will die for this game. Like literally, they will die. They will they will do it until they can't walk away from the game. Like that's how much it means to them. And I I understand each its own, but there's more to life than football. And I think everything with Hamlin, it puts things in perspective. You know, because people always all the time, well, why are you sitting out? Why are you doing this? Because of things like that, right? In football, you're you're always one injury away from something affecting you for the rest of your life. So. Yeah, I, for anybody that, that retires early, I'm like, I get it. You know, like it's, I, I could have played longer, but I was like, I'm done. Yeah. I remember when the 49ers had that rash of retirements where it was Patrick Willis and like two other guys Bowman. and another line. Yeah, Bowman, Bowman, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, wait a minute, what's, what's happening here? Is this a trend? And then, you know, we, we see guys who step away from the game and you don't hear about the retirement ceremonies like a guy like DeMar Hamlin, who's you know fighting for his life literally because of a situation where he just got caught the wrong way. And we'll we'll get more as, as the, the story develops. But uh, when you saw that play, when you saw that happen, um, I was I was doing the the I think doing a halftime show for the Bulls game and I just jumped on Twitter for a quick second and before I did somebody told me and then I was like all right do I want to watch this right and you know what what do what do you feel when you see guys because I think I think we have gotten too used to stretchers and carts you know and and that not being chaotic and catastrophic and you know gut-wrenching, right? When we see a guy not being able to walk off the field but getting off on wheels, we're like, oh, okay, he gave us the thumbs up. And I think it's like the desensitization of what we got going on here. I talked to my my, my lady about it and she said, um, you know, that's this just seems like a tough life. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, these are the modern day gladiators and there's a thousand kids in, in Florida and Texas and California who all want to do this. So the owners and the colleges and all these people know this. Like, what do you, 
What, what was going through your head uh, in terms of everything that is football and the culture that is football, professionally, high school, um, and collegiately, when you saw that young man go down in the way that he did? I don't think anyone has ever seen anything like that, to be honest with you. You know, like, usually you see somebody getting cussed, maybe getting back up afterwards, a little woozy, maybe a, a horrific, you know, uh, ACL injury or broken bone, something that can be fixed, right? But you didn't see this where you didn't know if he was alive, right? He, he looked like lifeless there. And that's what the scary part was. And the fact is, you know, people were speculating about what it was. Um, yeah, it was just a freak deal. Like, I I think a blues player that happened to 10, 10 years ago, a hockey player. Chris same Pronger. Thing, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, he got, same thing happened to him, but it's it's very rare. So I think this is a moment where everyone kind of realized, man, football is a brutal game. And, and at any point, your life could be at stake. Not even just your brain health, not even your your leg, your ACL, your Achilles, but, but your life. And I, I think that's when people started to realize, okay, I, I understand sometimes why. I saw a lot of tweets. I understand why this guy walked away, or I understand why mm. this person turned down this contract. Every because time. money... Money is not worth everything, right? Like, they're still understanding some of the impacts. Like, I've been playing since I was second grade, right? And they're not even saying it's concussions. I, I think I've had one documented concussion in my in my life, right? But the little hits, they say, are what makes the difference. And for me, I, I haven't even seen the movie Concussion. I don't want to see it. Like, I was just like, man, everything I've heard about it, that's why I was like, no, I'm done. Like, your brain is the most important thing to me, right? Like you can, you can get a hip replacement, you can get a knee replacement, but you can't replace your brain. That's how I've always thought of it because some people, you know, like Luke Keekley stepping away from the game after eight years. You go, well, why, why? Listen, he's has three documented concussions. You know how many he's probably really had? Right. A lot, a lot more. So people are realizing that there's more important things because at the end of the day, um, I would, I would hate for, a bunch of players to, to end up like vegetables one day, you know, kind of like that punch drunk syndrome mm-hmm. that you see with a lot of boxers. Mm-hmm. It's so unfortunate. Right. And then you beg the question, like, was it worth it? And I, I guarantee everyone said, no, mm. there's, there's no amount of money that'd be worth your health, especially your brain health. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's always, I've always felt funny about asking that question because, you know, a football player's life, like you just mentioned, starts so early that's all that per like everything outside of you know their family and their faith and all the other things but that's that's such a large chunk of who they've become that it's hard to ask you know would you do it all over again it's like well you know for what 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 um you know what what instance would be would I get the same adulation and, and be celebrated the same way and have the same financial windfall and the, you know like these are the things that I, I the, the tough questions where it's like yeah you know, these these are someone else's um, brothers and sons and fathers going out there. Anytime that I've ever heard of a contract dispute, and I know listeners have gotten mad at me, but um, I've always been on the side of the players because I understand, you know, I've, I've talked to you guys like yourself. I've talked to guys like Nick Roach and dudes who, you know, who it may not have the household name, but still walk around with some of those bruises and bumps and, and what they have to deal with. And some of the players who are, you know, the players who are the special teams guys who are going out there, you know, damn near punching the clock, you know, making a, a, a damn good living. But at the same time, you know, the beating and the, and, and the, the taxing that your body takes. And then all of a sudden, if you have a great career at 35 years old, you're like, all right, go, uh, go do something now. 
You know, exactly. It's, uh, exactly. It's, it's, it's transition is the, is the hard part for a lot of people. Even even the ones that made stupid amount of money, it, it's mm. still like, you know, I, I think they were saying like a crazy statistic. I think like sixty or seventy percent of retired NFL players are depressed, and yeah. then I, I think it's like ninety percent are broke within three years of, of retiring. So those those are statistics they're trying to change. And uh, to to be honest with you, it's it's hard because they they they're starting to give some resources for people about managing money or dealing with with body issues or whatever. But you know, people are going to do what they want to do with their money. Right. Um, it's just plain and simple. Especially, you know, how can you fault somebody if they grew up with nothing and then all of a sudden they get millions? It, it, it's it's hard if you don't have anybody advising you, right? To, to how to spend your money, how to manage it, how to invest it. Um, because the thing is, e- even even someone like myself that didn't play that long, didn't get a huge contract, this money that's just set you up with, with other investments to, to set you on the right path for the rest of your life. And some people don't, you know, I can't tell you how many people I play with that, you know, now they, they don't have much at all. And, and they played, you know, anywhere from four to eight years and made a good amount of money you know, compared to the rest of the society and have nothing to show for it. So I, I think that's something that I'm, I'm hoping uh, people could get better about. And uh, but at the end of the day, you can't control somebody like that's the same thing they say about lottery winners. Right. Majority right. of them go broke within a few years because they just they never had that type of money. So it's it's really tough. But I'm hoping they can do something maybe from the time kids are in school. Right. I always thought, you know, learning how to bake man, that should be thrown to the side. You should learn about financial <laughs> literacy. Literally. Yeah. Like, yeah. like how to, how to budget, you know, if, if, if you make 60,000 a year, if you make 4,000 a month, um, your rents, uh, a thousand, your expenses mm-hmm. are here. This is how much you have left over. You know, what are you gonna do for play money? What are you going to do to invest? Things like that. To teach kids the importance of that, because I feel like that's a lot of people don't realize that, like, you know, about, about budgeting money, managing things, how to invest, um, so I, th- I think we're behind the eight ball on that. And I think we should teach it in every school district, um, you know, from the time kids are in middle school. Because yeah. I think kids need to realize, like, even my nephew is in college. It's terrible. I tell them all the time. I give him money. And then two seconds later, he's like, oh, could I get some more? I'm like, dude, <laughs> I just gave you $500, man. Stop it. Make so, a stretch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, you spend it in like two weeks, man. I'm like, come on, yeah. chill out. I was like, yeah. I used to get like maybe a hundred dollars every other month from my parents. I made it work, bro. <laughs> I, and I had a full scholarship. Stop it. Right. Shout out to yeah. the 90, 99 cent whopper, my big Sherm over there. It, it, exactly. <laughs> the exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. I wish, I wish they would do that from the time, uh, kids, kids are young, you know, because yeah. a lot of it's just, people don't know. People don't know anything yeah. about that. They're not familiar with it. So when you get that amount of money, you think it's going to last forever and reality Everything nowadays, you can buy something online. There's commercials. There's Instagram. Tell there's cars. There's this. So literally, everybody is keeping up with the Joneses nowadays because they feel like they have to try to achieve something, and overspending and all this. And and the problem is, a lot of people don't change their spending habits when they're done playing. That's the problem for a lot of people. You know, for me, when I when I was done playing, I'm like, all right, we got to stick on this budget. We got to get this going, and that's how we're going to do things. So. Yeah, it's, yeah, I wish they would teach it more. 
Yeah, and the, also the problem is a lot of people around these players don't change their lifestyles, and you're like, you give know, me that, give you're right, yeah, you, you have to switch some parts out, baby. Everybody can't go after you retire. Sometimes I've seen it happen way too many times where it's like, all right, you know that things are going to go different ways once a guy steps out of that spotlight, and how does he, how does he cope? How does he react? Speaking of coping, you know, I was thinking about this the the with the Demar Hamlin situation, um, what the NFL provides in terms of uh, mental health services because mm-hmm. you know I was it, it, and I don't know why my mind went here but in watching that clip you know there's so many so many brothers on that field uh, and some might have come from backgrounds that you know ha- aren't the best and they've experienced certain traumas and you know, maybe have seen a person or two die in front of them or around them and to have that happen we talk about you know, the physical trauma that the the bodies of NFL players undergo. But, you know, the triggers and, you know, I've mentioned on this pod many times, my my, um, my fiance is a psychotherapist. So, you know, I've, I've become well-versed these last couple of years on, you know, triggers and PTSD and all those things and the emotional traumas that get unearthed in moments that you don't even know, like, oh, okay, they took me back to when I was six years old and I didn't even know it just now. Like the, the, the thought of, or the, the image of seeing your brother go down in a heap like that, understanding that everybody's out here is in peak physical condition. We got armor on. These are the fastest, strongest people on the earth. Um, the filtration process to get here. I, I was thinking, damn, you know, I saw T. Higgins walking down the 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 tunnel with his mom, right? And I and I I see other play. I mean, Demar Hamlin's mom is in the ambulance on the way to the hospital with her baby, you know, hoping that he makes it. And then you've got Tre'Davious White and Josh Allen and all these brothers on the sideline crying because of what they're seeing in that moment. Somebody that they think they are losing. Uh, when you were in the league. And, and I know this is, you know, going on a decade ago now, but when you were in the league, what was it? What, was there a stigma around guys getting help or guys talking about what they were feeling? I mean, now we're in a different era where stars have stepped out and said, this is what I'm dealing with. And I know that every, everyday people go through the same thing. You know, I talk about my mental health on this pod as often as I possibly can just to try to shake some of that, some of that shit that we have as men and also as black men about going and talking to somebody. Uh, when you were in the league, what was the conversation, if any, around that part of, you know, keeping that part of your life healthy enough? Yeah, so I feel like it really wasn't talked about then. So I, I was in the league from 2010 to 2016. Um, and yeah, people really didn't talk about it that much. Um, you know, I think there was a, a pamphlet that came in the mail uh, based on our mailing address that said, hey, if you need help, call this line. But it wasn't uh, as advertised as I hear it is now, right? They're telling people, hey, you know, I think they give something around eight uh, free um, sessions for a therapist or a psychiatrist if you need it um, a year under under the Cigna insurance plan and for former players as well. Um, you know, I think they do a couples counseling and different stuff like that. They're offering different sources, uh, which I think is a great thing because yeah. a, a lot of times people just push stuff inside. And, you know, in football, is be a man. Stop, stop crying about this. Don't, you know, from the time I was younger, you know, like when you, when you play in peewee and you get popped for the first time, you get the wind knocked out of you and you're crying, you know, you tough it up, tough it up, you ain't soft, like things like that. And I think people are understanding that men have feelings and emotions and even the most physically dominant, you know, big, larger than life men 
still battle things. And, you know, I've, I've played with a bunch of people that have battled some demons. Um, you know, a guy I played with from Minnesota, Everson Griffin, he, he had a couple manic uh, episodes and I'm glad he's getting the help that he needs. Right. Because this is something that, hey, maybe if this was 10 years ago, there could have been a different direction. And this had all went. So, you know, I hear he's doing well. I haven't talked to him in a while, but, you know, there's so many different examples of, of unfortunately, the mental aspect of things when guys feel like they have no hope. There's only one way out. And unfortunately, they lose, lose their, their life to suicide. So it's, it's definitely something that's alarming. Uh, you know, we hear Junior Seau, Dave Duerson, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, Dave Duerson was successful. He was the VP of a, of a meat company. Like he mm-hmm. was doing big things. And it was too much for him, you know? So um, I'm just hoping they can because you couple brain injury with mental issues, whether mental health, and then all of, all of a sudden it becomes this Molotov cocktail. And all of a sudden it becomes too much for some people. So I'm just hoping people get the help that they need um, because I'm, I'm all for it. You know, I've, I've been to a therapist before when I played for Minnesota. I was in a funk mostly because of everything that was going on. But I felt a million times better afterwards, right? Sometimes you just got to talk about it and not talking about it to your friend, to your, your girlfriend, your wife, your fiance, but talking to a independent person that, that's not going to judge you, not going to think differently of you. It's, 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 it's awesome to do that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's why Thursdays have a little bit different tinge on this pod because Thursdays at eleven, I got I got a standing appointment with my my doctor, Doctor Wilson, and uh, yeah, <laughs> I know go. these last I know these last couple of years would have been a lot different uh, if I didn't get some of this stuff out. We'll be back with more of the full goal with Jason Golf after a word from our sponsors. Bears talk with Jason Golf on the full goal. And the kick is good for the win. Fade to black. Brought to you by The Ringer, a Spotify original. All right, so let's let's transition to, uh, you know, this year's Chicago Bears team. You do great work on Fox 32, of course, with CHGO as well. Um, I, I like the fact that this year started off with you getting into a little tiff with Kyle Shanahan. I got to be <laughs> honest with you. I don't know if our, if our listeners know about this, but me digging yeah. around the, the interwebs, I was like, wait a minute now. Hold on. Why is KMBR and Corey Wooten popping up in the same, you know, Google search? Uh, you know, you, you went out there, you said what was going to happen in the game. And I guess Kyle Shanahan came on after your radio uh, hit and, and said, what, we called you a fan? What, what, what was going on It was there? actually before the game. It was actually before, it was before the game. Before the so game, I, right. So I came on at Friday morning for for KMBR, and then he came on afterwards, and they told him about what I said. And everything I said came true, Um, and I was almost 100% right on the score. Cairo Santos missed missed the extra point. I would have had to score Cairo. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But I I was just saying, I was like, everything everything that that I'd been hearing, everything um, that it seemed like that they didn't have the confidence in Trey Lance, you know, he wasn't a captain, things like that. And, uh, I told him Justin Fields is going to outperform him when he did. He had two touchdowns in that game. Um, you know, I think when it's all said and done, Trey Lance could be a great player, but I think he, he took it like I was, I was looking into something, but it seemed like he was a little triggered. Like there was some truth to that, you know, because when people get really mad about stuff like that, there is some truth <laughs> to it. You know what I mean? If there's no truth. He'd be like, oh, you know, we talked about but you know, Shanahan, I think he's a great coach. I think his arrogance to me is 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 what doesn't allow him to take the next step. Because when I look at 
when that game, when he was in Atlanta, right? When he was the coordinator, right? They had the game on lock with Tom. He had him on the ropes. All you had to do was run the football, pound the rock. You don't have to get cute and all this. You want a Super Bowl ring. Who cares how you get it done? And he was trying to do his passing play and all this. And unfortunately, they lost because of his coaching. And I think his arrogance got in the way. And I still, I don't like the way he carries himself. I don't. I I, I think he, he carries himself with that arrogance that you're just like, it rubs you the wrong way. You're like, this guy right. really, like, I think you're a talented coach, but chill out. All right? Just just chill out, you know? So that that for me, uh, and I had to fire back on him after afterwards with some clips that, that, that went a little viral. So. <laughs> I yeah. saw it. I but saw it, it is what it is. I mean, they're, they're doing good, so shout out to them. Yeah. 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 But, yeah. but that's what happens when you build a defensive lineup. Bears, that's what we got to do. No, no doubt. All right, let's get right to it then. Um, Justin Fields, you know, not playing in the final game of the season. Uh, Tony Gill and I have talked about this over the last couple of weeks or so. I-, I thought that it would be good to see him or them actually get a win to have some of that, some of those efforts and attention to detail and the growth and the evolution that we talk about pay off, right? Like, I, I think that you guys need payoff. You guys need results to take hard coaching and to, to see that you're, the things that you are actually developing, and not only in your games, but understanding in the scheme, you want to see it pay off. So losing eight, nine games in a row, you know, I just didn't think that that would be the best thing for him. And now he's got the hip strain. So, of course, if he's hurt, if he's banged up, you sit him out, you start it over again next year. But he he was responsible for 25 touchdowns this year, uh, 11 interceptions. He played well down the stretch, even when he was banged up, when he was hurt. You had the four-game run of 30-plus points. What is sustainable in Justin Fields' evolution going forward? Because I didn't expect him. I, I, I love these people who didn't watch him at Georgia or didn't watch him at Ohio State and see him running around the NFL now and acting like, oh, he's just a running back and all this other stuff. And, of course, Luke Getzey throws a toss play in there in the final game to make sure that people are still saying this foolishness. But what, what do you think is sustainable for him uh, long term? Because the guy that I saw at Ohio State in you know, a couple of flashes before he transferred uh, from Georgia was a, a pocket pack. Like, I thought he was going to be more Steve McNair, Donovan McNabb than Lamar Jackson or Michael Vick. So what do you see in his game going forward and w- what exactly does he need? I, I see him being similar to Jalen Hurts, right? A guy that can run when he needs to, but doesn't, doesn't have to. And I think a lot of what we're seeing is him just being a playmaker out there, right? Like, like you said before, Ohio State, at Georgia. We saw him more from the pocket. You know, he scrambled when he needed to. And I think as we get more weapons, the Bears, that is, like the receivers, I mean, if you if you look at Equinemia St. Brown has been our best receiver. And no disrespect to him, but he's a three or a four on most teams, um, to be honest with you. So right. I think I think if you look at the talent Justin Fields has at the receiving core, um, it, it's it's tough sledding for him at times. He's putting balls on the money, guys are dropping it, uh, they're not getting the separation. So I think he's He's done a lot with a little. Um, so I think people are very critical on him. But you look at, I always look at the Eagles example because look what they've done for Jalen Hurts, right? They surrounded him with with Brown. They traded for him. Uh, Devontae Smith is another year. Uh, really, really great uh, target. They got Goddard. Um, they have a great defensive line. Uh, they have four guys that have double digits, I believe. So I'm hoping the Bears can follow the Eagles, like how they've, how they made Jalen Hurts from what he was last year to now an MVP candidate. Because I'm telling you, if the, if the Bears can surround Justin Fields with a number one receiver, if they can get the offensive line and get some rushers on the defensive line, I think he could be a top five quarterback next year. I really believe mm. that. He has the talent. Mm. Um, 
I think half of it, too, when you look at Jalen Hurts, he throws balls up there, and those two receivers, they get the 50-50 balls. The Bears don't do that, right? So it makes a world of difference. You look at, you know, this past weekend, Mike Evans, three touchdowns with Tom Brady. He throws it up there. He goes up and gets it. Bears haven't had that since Alshon Jeffrey, Brandon Marshall. So we kind of need that. Allen Robinson flashed a little bit, but his last year there, you know, with Justin Fields wasn't wasn't what we thought. Um, so I'm thinking if they can get him that number one receiver and get that offensive line better, I think it's just it'll be better for his confidence. Now he's running for his life at times, right? He holds on to the ball sometimes a little too much, but the offensive line hasn't been very good. And it's hard playing quarterback when you're running for your life most of the time. All right, let's sit to the defensive side of the football. You know, you played under this scheme with Lovey Smith and the Matt Eberflus cover two. There's a lot of, you know, Tampa two cover two principles in there. And, you know, we know about the weak side linebacker, the nickel corner, and the, the three technique being the, the key positions in this defense. So when you've got, you know, the Bears situation where they'll probably lose to Minnesota this week and end up with a three and 14 record and putting them in position for that number one pick, a lot of people are talking Jalen Carter or Will Anderson. Uh, now, break it down for me because a 4-3 cover two defensive end has different responsibilities than obviously a 3-4 technique defensive end, different body types, different things like that. So what are the responsibilities? What kind of frame are you looking for? What are you trying to fit into both those positions? Like, start with the three technique for me because I remember Tommy Harris causing havoc as uh, outside shoulder of the guard, inside shoulder of the tackle. Like, give me give me what you guys talk about in those meetings when it comes to what a three technique has to do down in and down out. Yeah, so the three technique in the Tampa 2 is the engine that runs that defense. You look at even from the days when Lovey was on Tampa Bay uh, with Warren Sapp, like, he really got things going in there. And that's when this Tampa 2 really started. And then Tommy Harris, Henry Melton for a couple really good years for the Bears. It starts with a very quick three technique, a guy that can gain penetration. So that's the biggest thing. Like, a pe- in the Tampa 2, you don't have to be the strongest guy in the world. You don't have to be a, a two-gap or a guy that can just hold people and have great strength. You have to be a guy with great quickness that can get off the football, right? And the penetration kills everything, right? Penetration sets the edge in the run game. Uh, it allows allows you to get off and then on play action, be able to rush the passer as well. So playing in that playing in that scheme was one of the best I ever had, you know, because you didn't have to worry about you getting reached, you getting cut off, because if you got off the football, you drove your your offensive guy back and, and it disrupted everything. So the three technique is the most critical because they'll kill any run play. And then they always put the three technique away from the slide. So they're one-on-one on that guard. So it creates that matchup. So that's why, you know, Tommy Harris, Henry Melton, Warren Sapp were really able to come home because it takes what the offense is doing against them, right? So that three mm-hmm. technique is always opposite the slide. So that way they're one-on-one. There's no center help. So that that way, that's why the three technique is so important in this game. When, that, when you refer to the slide, are you talking about the slide protection and like it, yes. it, it, what what hand the offense is 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 um dedicating itself to like when you break down exactly. the slide from so, so so for example if if the three technique is on the right side um it would be based on uh the slide of where the center is going right so the center goes one way or the other each time based on the protection and so every time you do it based off the back or based on where the center is pointing and going to because you you know that going into the game based on their tendencies, how they slide things, and usually every team is the same way without you know protection rules, and you use that against them. So there's always that matchup where the center slides away from that three technique, 
and he's on the nose. And then all of a sudden, the three technique is one-on-one on the guard. And so him and the end on that side are both one-on-one. So it's really exploiting that matchup right there. You had a chance to play, like you mentioned, with Julius Peppers, one of the greatest of all time. And I always used to have fun with it because Julius would always be missing for that uh, that that possession before halftime. And I'd always <laughs> make the joke that that's got to be Julius running into the locker room and taking shit before anybody else gets in there. <laughs> like, I didn't know what was happening, but if there was a critical down I think he, I think he might have. I think he might have. I, like, we'll I, get I, out of there. I, 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 made, I made it up because I, I sat there. I was like, you know, like for like weeks in a row after a while, I'm like, there's a trend that Julius, the possession before halftime, yep. Julius <laughs> Peppers is not out there on the field. I don't know if you doesn't trust y'all or if y'all just dirty heathens. He wanted to get into the bathroom early, but we all know a Hall of Fame type of player, uh, you know, mountain of a man like yourself. Um, when you have someone that big on the edge playing in that kind of defense, uh, you don't get that kind of body type very often. They had two of them with you two guys. When you look at Will Anderson, you know, as opposed to Jalen Carter, do they have typical 4-3 defensive end and 4-3 uh, three technique bodies, or can you just kind of mix and match whatever you need body type into that defense. So I think it's, it's quickness is the most important thing, right? Because uh, okay. uh, you've seen it. Some guys in the league maybe don't have the right composition, but they're quick as can be. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing. I think Will Anderson can definitely play uh, the right end in, in the 4-3. Kind of reminds me of, of Simeon Rice a little bit, right? Simeon mm. Rice was a very lean guy. I think he might have weighed 235 uh, and, and was able to play the run. Why? Because of the get off. Right. That's the that's the most important thing. And people don't realize like, yeah, uh, two gapper, uh, three, four end. Yeah, they have to be a guy that's three, ten, three, oh, five, strong as an ox can, you know, take on two people. But in this will end, will end definitely fit the right end. And I think either way you go, um, I don't think they could be wrong, but I think it's going to be based on what they can do in the offseason. Right. So there's a guy, a Hargrave for the Eagles, uh, double digit sack guy, the tackle. He's up his contract. I don't know if the Eagles are going to be able to keep him. Uh, you know, so it's, it'll be interesting to see because if we could nab him, nab a guy like Marcus Davenport to maybe play the left end, then we have those two positions. Then we can go out and get a guy like Will Anderson. And I'm hoping that they can trade uh, in the offseason, maybe to get a Mike Evans, a DeAndre Hopkins for, for around three years uh, in Justin mm-hmm. Fields' development. And then really, really get the offensive line, maybe get it, maybe get one tackle and one guard um, and I, I would feel pretty good about that situation right there if they get that done. How many Hall of Famers did you play with in your time here in Chicago? Yeah, so I played Julius Peppers. Obviously, he's going to be um, Peanut should get in. Should be, yeah. Erlacher, uh, uh, Lance Briggs should get in. I, it, it baffles me, man. You play with he, Devin he, too, right? Devin had, should should have been a first ballot too. Um, trying to think, uh, Brandon Marshall probably will eventually get in, uh, I think. Um, you know, I, I think because of the direction his career went, how how he rectified right. everything, the mental health, he, he got, he got you know, went to therapy, got got things figured out. So I think he should get in, right? He was very dominant. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I know he probably won't get in, but I think I think Matt Forte should be in consideration, man. I, I think he's... One of the greatest running backs in yes, Bears history. yes. I think so. All purpose backs of all time. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I, I don't think he will, but I think he should, you know, yeah. but, but it baffles me that Lance Briggs, arguably one of the best guys I've ever played with, like consistently put up numbers. And I don't know if it's 
because it was Brian Urlacher City. Like, you know, sometimes when you're... There was some years Briggs was the best linebacker yes. on that team. But I, <laughs> but I think sometimes when you're next to somebody that's super hyped up, like Brian Urlacher, and he commanded that respect, right? He, he yeah, put the numbers yeah. up, but you kind of get overshadowed in a way because Urlacher was so marketable, right? He was, he was Nike's athlete. He was Chicago's next great linebacker. You know, and he came before Briggs. So that's why I think he... It kind of hurts him a little bit, but I, I think he should get in. I think he should for sure. Um, you know, Olin Krutz is another guy that, OG. that should get in. Yeah, yeah. A lot, a lot of people feel a certain way about him. Uh, he's definitely <laughs> That's old my school. man. Yeah, I know. He's I old know. school. I know. But I, I, think, I, think he, I think he should be in. I think he should be in for sure. <laughs> I mean, he's arguably one of the best centers to do it. And if you think about it, he only weighed about 270. He struggled to get to 270. So I think that tells you how much of a beast he was uh, yeah. out there. Yeah. Um, you know, he, people were scared of him. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know. Trust me. Media types alike. You know, yeah. I remember. Yeah. I remember the 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 lights on and off incident at at Hallis Hall when <laughs> when media walked in and Olin is flashing the yeah. lights for media to get out. Like, yeah. And now look at him. You know, yeah. he's, he's a part of the. He's on the other side of things now. Still causing havoc. Exactly. But, <laughs> but but still doing his thing. And like you mentioned with uh with Lance, man, I think about you know God rest his soul, Doug Buffon, right? Doug Buffon yep. played next to Dick Buck and Doug Buffon was one of the greatest linebackers of his generation and didn't get the uh, the flowers that he deserved at that time. Lance went to, what, six or seven Pro Bowls. I don't know how much more you got to do in your NFL career before you're recognized as one of the all-time greats. But so be it. I'm not going to force you to talk about this Vikings-Bears game because I am still on the fence as to whether I will watch this thing. And I know I will watch it because we got to put a pod out on Sunday. But I, Lord have mercy. I, I don't know if uh, Nathan Peterman and the boys going to catch too many snaps from me this yeah, weekend. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a tough one. But So, so you thought if, if Justin Fields was healthy this week, he should play? You know, I, I did. And because... I wanted to, I wanted to, and, and I know Tony's sitting there like waving his finger at me behind the camera, but I, I wanted him, like certain things to be checked off the box, right? I wanted, I wanted to see, and I wanted another piece of tape to evaluate, like, look how good he can be if he's got something around him. Now, the not having the stuff around you part is, you know, is going to have him take hits, hold the ball. And also, I think this last game, I think everybody was ready to go to the crib. Like that, exactly. that, that reminded me of a game yeah. where it's like, let's get out of this thing healthy and, and get on to the next week. And I think exactly. some of that was on him, too, because he you know, I didn't want to see him revert back into some of these bad habits because he was hurt or because it's, it's, it's OK to have a letdown. Right. So, you know, I guess the the old school, you know, get off my lawn football fan and he jumped out. But it wasn't ever some he's a football player. He must play football. I just actually thought that if he was healthy enough, there's another opportunity Maybe some things could be taken off mm. the, you know, off the agenda going into the offseason as opposed to having to still wonder. Being 63 yards away from setting the all-time record, I guess. Yeah. You know, that that kind of, you know, I'm, I'm sure he would have wanted to get that. But I'm not bad at it at all, right? I know it might be a little selfish. Uh, I just, I believe in this dude in a way that I haven't believed in a Chicago quarterback in a very long time. Well, I, in my lifetime, I've never seen a quarterback developed, drafted and developed and gone on to success. And I'm 42. So, you know, I from the moment... Hey, man, you're old. No. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right, though. You're right. 
And and from the moment they drafted him, I was like, oh shit, this is this is a thing. Like my son will have a quarterback to grow up. My son's six years old. He's gonna have a quarterback to grow up with. Like I remember being five years old watching the Super Bowl shuffle and you know, watching the Bears and thinking Jim McMahon was the world, right? So I thought that this would be a chance and seeing the way that they handled him in his first year and the promises they made to Andy Dalton and now the steps that he's taken into this year, uh, I'm looking forward to what Justin could be because I I think he's going to prove a lot of people who didn't think it was a good pick early on. I I think he's going to prove a lot of people wrong. Just got to, you know, figure out what Ryan Poles thinks a good offensive and defensive line is. Yeah. And I I agree with you. I I think, um, you know, this season uh, he started out, you know, I think everybody was kind of questioning, you know, his development, you know, where we were from the beginning, even when he's playing bad, I'm like, they're not calling plays designed to help him. I knew that. So I knew when they would start allowing him to get on the move, some of the boosts, the sprints. And then all mm-hmm. of a sudden that Patriots game, that's when everything's kind of clicked. And then we saw his confidence come together because that's the key with any young quarterback, right? I think people fail to realize that you have to script for success to them. And then all of a sudden you do dink and dunk throws. How do you think Tom Brady became Tom Brady, right? Because of that offense, right? He said, here's a guy that's smart, that knows what he's doing. Okay, let's get these dink and dunk intermediate throws. And then all of a sudden, let's open things up. And look where it's gotten Tom Brady as the greatest of all time. And I knew once once they got Justin Fields on the move, all that, that's when he started to become the playmaker that we could saw. But yeah, I think he's been limited with the offensive line, the, the receivers, and, you know, Coming into the last couple of games, I was like, he should play Detroit because indoor, right? I thought I thought it was even surface. We don't have to worry about the cold. And, you know, I thought he should at least play a, play a half there, see how things go. And in the second half, he was getting destroyed. And then I was like, you got to pull him. You got to pull him. They kept putting yeah. him in. They kept putting him yeah. in. And then, and then it kind of concerned me because then I'm like, did they not think this guy could be the future of the team? Like, that, that really had me. And then Poles made a comment afterwards that kind of made me like, a little oh, get, get, yeah, get ready for it, Corey. Like, if the Bears get the first pick, there's going to be a, a I think, loud minority of fans who want them to draft Bryce Young. No way. I think you will hear those calls. I think you will see some things yeah. written. I think, Corey, there's going to be, <laughs> wow. it may be 10%, but there's going to be enough people who who, who say go back in the draft yeah. and get a quarterback. Wow, that's, that's very interesting. You know, I, I think Justin Fields does need to improve a little bit with the passing game for sure. Um, but I think all the throws that he's thrown this year, like, like dimes that you're like, okay, it's this two a guy game. has this in Arsenal. Okay. So imagine when, look, look at the throw to Bayless Jones a couple weeks ago, David Montgomery, like literally putting the ball right on the money there. So he has, he has all the tools, right? It's about them surrounding him with the talent, right? And Getsy knowing his quarterback and how do you get the best out of him, right? And every first drive, they get the best out of him, right? He's very good at scripting. And then once once you get off the card, the script card, he kind of struggles because the defense is making adjustments. He's got to do a better job adjusting in game, right? Because they get really good up until the red zone and all of a sudden they get a little tight. Oh, let's run the ball. Let's run the ball when he's completed three consecutive passes. So he's got to do a better job of that in the red zone. But I I really hope they don't draft a quarterback because I think Justin Fields can be an MVP type of player. I really do. I mean, what he's able to do, obviously he's not going to be able to sustain this running wise, you know, for the longevity of his career. But I think running will always be a part of his game. Mm-hmm. I'm just hoping that that, you know, he can consistently get two fifty to three hundred yards passing, you know, next year if they surround him with the talent. So I'm I'm hoping they'll trap the quarterback. I'll tell you that. 
Yeah, now we'll see what happens. I, uh, you know, whether they trade down or they take Will Anderson or they take Jalen Carter. Uh, Ryan Poles is on the clock, man. Like this is, you know, having the standoff with Roquan Smith and having, you know, having the situation where you know you, you you trade your best defensive end to the Philadelphia Eagles, like getting picks, the Chase Claypool acquisition, which I thought at the time was a steep price to pay for a guy who was on a team that knows how to pick wide receiver talent and knows what not to give away and what to give away, and also had a young quarterback that they were trying to bring along to to see that guy, you know, struggle the way that he struggled, like all. All these things, like Jaquan Brisker, the Kyler Gordon, everything is going into the the Ryan Poles talent evaluator profile right now. And this offseason is going to be one of the most important ones in Bears history. I'm looking forward to it after this Minnesota game. Corey, I, I know I've taken way too much of your time, man. I truly appreciate it. We got to do this again. I, uh, I look forward to the next time we can chop it up about the Bears, brother. Definitely, man. Let me know any time. I'm, I'm definitely able to do this, man. Appreciate it, bro. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Corey Wooten, Northwestern's finest, Jersey's finest, the man who (laughs) ended the career of a Mississippi welfare criminal. He is one of the best dudes going in this city right now. You can check him out on CHGO Fox 32. He is Corey Wooten right here on the Full Go Podcast. It's the Full Go that's all the time we have for episode 194 of the Full Go Podcast with Jason Goff. Want to thank our guests from CHGO and Fox 32, Corey Wooten, Northwestern's finest, former Chicago Bear. Uh, overall, good guy. Love talking football with that dude. Look forward to him jumping on with us during the offseason. Probably get some draft profiles and things of that nature on Will Anderson and Jalen Carter and some of the prospects that the Bears will be in line to uh kick the tires on as we get closer and closer to the NFL draft, but we got to go through the process first. So thank you to Corey Wooten for joining us. Want to thank our production staff as always, the shadowy figure that is known as Steve Cerruti. Uh, Happy New Year to the Cerruti family. Saw the beautiful picture of the family and how they spent it on New Year's Eve with the baby and the little, you know, little walker thing and (laughs) crying and and his beautiful lady right there in the kitchen. So shout out to the Cerutis. Shout out to my main man, Tony Gill, always good to see him. Happy New Year to Tony and our guy, the active Jesse Lopez, who wasn't here with us today on this recording because he's got more important things to do with his life. Now, shout out to the crew. Uh, Shout out to y'all. I hope your new year was brought in with a bang. Um, not literally, because I know where some of y'all are listening from. And I knew what happened on New Year's Eve. There was a whole, you know, a bunch of bunch of fireworks that weren't sanctioned out here in these city streets. Uh, in fact, it sounded like Fallujah in a lot of the places that, that, that you are listening into the, to this podcast at. So hopefully everybody is still good. Hopefully you guys have had a happy and prosperous start to your new year. Thank you for downloading this thing. Thank you for subscribing to it. Thank you for rating and reviewing it, giving us the five stars that we damn well deserve on this podcast. I want to thank you for sharing it with your family and friends. We will holler at y'all on Sunday after Bears Vikings. <laughs> Maybe? (laughs) No, we're going to do a pod on Sunday, but boy, oh boy, if y'all expect me to watch Four Quarters of Nathan Peterman, well, you're right. I have to, and we'll talk about it. So make sure you keep the voicemail line close to you so you can send me all of your laughing out loud voicemail uh, submissions at 773-359-3103. is the phone number. Keep that close to you. If you got to give somebody a punky here like my man in Rogers Park did last week. So thank you for hanging out with us as always we'll catch you on sunday for episode 195 of the full goal podcast for the fellas and everybody i am jason golf saying as always take care of yourself and be safe we'll talk to you soon